This is ABLE, the show that tells the stories of parents who have children with disabilities. I'm Tim Tedeschi. Every mother wants to give her child with a disability the best care possible, but not every mother is a certified social worker. Meet Dr. Lori Goss-Reeves. Okay, hi, my name is Dr. Lori Goss-Reeves. Lori says she's always had a love for individuals with disabilities, beginning with her relationship with her stepbrother Joey, who was deaf due to complications from spinal meningitis as a toddler. She changed from deaf education to a social work major at Ball State University to increase the scope of work she could do, and after graduation she began working as a preschool social worker at Cary Services, an agency that worked with individuals with disabilities in Marion, Indiana. I just believe God has a way of preparing us for things, and something, I don't know, inside of me was concerned that maybe God was preparing my husband and I to have a child with a disability. I don't know where that thought came from, but I know that the prayer of my heart was, Dear God, please don't. I pray that you're not preparing me for something like this. With those concerns in the back of her head, Lori and her husband Eric decided to have their first child. While she was pregnant, Lori journaled to the baby and prayed the child would be protected in her womb. Nine months later, their oldest son, Christopher, was born perfectly healthy. When Lori got pregnant with baby number two, she went through the same cycle of concern, journaling, and praying. Her second son, Cody, was born healthily as well. And life seemed so good. My husband was a cartoonist for the Garfield comic strip. I was working eight hours a week as a social worker, and our faith was incredibly strong, and God's blessing seemed to abound. I don't mean that arrogantly at all. I was always very conscious of the fact that life could change in a moment. My dad had been killed in Vietnam when I was a baby, and so there was a part of me that knew that life didn't always stay good. Despite Lori's hopes for a daughter, she became pregnant with another boy. The fear was gone this time, and she excitedly journaled and prayed and prepared her sons for the addition of their new baby brother without much worry. Then at a routine checkup, her doctor saw an abnormality in her measurements and referred her for an ultrasound. The next thing that I knew, baby number three had something called duagenal atresia. Doctor said to me that 30% of the time that is present in children with Down syndrome. And did I need to know? And without even consideration, I said to her, yes, I, I have to know. This was all happening shortly after Cody survived a life-threatening accident. A car window blocked his airway and he lost consciousness, but he suffered no permanent damage. With that trauma still on her mind, Lori had another ultrasound and an amniocentesis on her 28th birthday. Now at that ultrasound, uh, the tech was pretty direct and said, do you have family in the area? How many children do you have? You know, what kind of support, you know, do you and your husband have? Those kind of questions, which made me know that that, that tech was seeing something. But I think denial is a really good thing. And I had just been through a pretty traumatic event with Cody, and I wasn't ready to begin to accept what might be coming our way in terms of the next phone call. Lori, Eric, and their family and friends spent the next eight days praying for the baby boy they had already named Colton. Then they finally received the phone call from the doctor that confirmed Colton had Down syndrome. My husband on one phone, me on the other. When the phone call came in and the words were that our child had trisomy 21. Thankfully, my mom was there. I remember my husband and I just holding each other and sobbing. And I look back now and I think, wow, like if I knew today Colton had Down syndrome, I would really be okay. But at that moment, it was like our hopes and dreams just got shattered. For us, we wanted our children to have 
lives where there wouldn't be as much struggle as, as I felt like my husband and I had had in, in some ways growing up. It's just where we were. And so when I thought about this baby, I thought about would kids make fun of him in school? Uh, would he be able to play baseball like my other two were just beginning to do? Would we be able to meet all of his needs and at the same time meet the needs of these two boys that we had bored our whole heart and soul and, and time and energy into? And I thought about what were we going to do when he was an adult? And I, I just didn't. I really wish I wouldn't have gone so forward, but I did in my head. And so we began this journey of trying to process and to try to accept what might be coming our way with the delivery of of Colton. Colton Michael Reeves was born on August 21st, 1995. Everything was different. After delivery, he was whisked away. You know, he wasn't placed on my chest. I wasn't able to nurse him. He didn't look healthy. He looked very sick, and it broke our hearts. I remember well just laying in that hospital bed as Colton was gone at this point and, and taken to the neonatal intensive care unit. I had just been through you know all day of labor and delivery and, and just crying, and my husband just holding me as we both just grieved what we had just experienced. It was nothing like our delivery with baby one or two. The doctor was different. I was at a teaching hospital. I couldn't have my doctor that I had this wonderful relationship with. Colton had surgery to repair a section of his small intestine when he was five days old and didn't come home until September. Everything was different when taking care of Colton, most notably because he didn't cry. I remember asking my grandma at one point to watch him for me just briefly, and she was wonderful, but I remember her feeling like she didn't know what to do. You know, this child's needs were different, and and did she know what to do? I had an aunt who was incredibly supportive, and she was very, very willing to support and help, but I remember her saying, you know, if he doesn't cry, how am I going to know when to feed him, right? So I felt like I had to do this teaching. It was teaching them where I was and teaching them what he needed. And so where I was was devastated, and I don't think people understood that. As the family adjusted to their new baby and his unique struggles, Lori thought about the therapy exercises she learned while being present for case conferences as a social worker. And I thought, we just got to, we just got to help him, right? Rather than just enjoying this baby, I, I really just went on this mission to help him function as well as he could. And, and in hindsight, I would do that much differently. But at that point in time, I, I just, that's where I was. I couldn't do it differently. Lori was determined to find treatments and programs that would help Colton develop. It was 1995, and the internet was just starting to explode in popularity. Lori spent hours searching for potential treatments and found a doctor named Jack Warner in California who had formulated a special vitamin supplement to help children with Down syndrome called High Achievement Potential Capsules, or HAPCAPS. With medical bills mounting, Lori, Eric, and their three sons flew to California to meet with Dr. Warner. I remember someone from church gave us $50, uh, and I remember someone that Eric knew gave us free tickets to Disney. And so as we loaded these three boys up to fly to California, for the first time, it was like some sense of family normalcy. I mean, we were clearly not going on a vacation. We were going to see Dr. Warner, but we had a had a piece of vacation in there that we really needed. Of course, then I'm thinking, but we really can't spend money. Someone gave us $50. You know, you're thinking that way too. But we went to see Dr. Warner, and he was wonderful. After evaluating Colton, 
Dr. Warner sent the Reeves home with hap caps and a developmental therapy program. Lori and Eric put the vitamins in nearly everything Colton ate and constantly worked through different therapy exercises. Eventually, Lori's determination got the best of her, and she found another vitamin supplement that cost $200 a month. I remember going to Eric and saying, more expensive must mean better, right? And so, of course, neither one of us knew whether that was a yes or no answer to that question, but we then started Colton on these other vitamins. The struggle there was that I think instead of just holding and loving and just enjoying this baby, it just felt like there was always a task. And and I have to admit that I think I brought a lot of that on myself because I chose to put these vitamins into his diet multiple times a day. I chose to have a developmental therapy program that Dr. Warner, of course, helped us with that, that we were doing. It was always, how can we help him developmentally? Lori enlisted the help of church volunteers, so there was someone to work through the therapy exercises with Colton as often as possible. And for a time, it seemed to be working. Colton had progressed amazingly, not only developmentally, but social and emotionally. He would laugh. He would chase his brothers around the house. We had to do sometimes a lot to get that kind of a reaction, but we could get it. He had a large hernia, and we just have a lot of video of him responding to us if we would, you know, push him fast down a roller coaster toy or pick him up in the air and and make some pretty, you know, fast movements. He just, he liked that kind of interaction and we loved it. We loved seeing him laugh and respond and interact and and we we just thought that was going to continue to be a part of our world. Colton had developed some words. He could say book. He could say eat. He actually had quite a few words that he could say. I remember being at his doctor's appointment right before all of the changes happened and the doctor saying how really well Colton was doing developmentally. When Colton was about 18 months old, things started to change. He began rocking himself back and forth on the floor and sucking his thumb, and Lori said it felt like he was starting to disappear. Once again, Lori jumped to action trying to find causes and action plans to help Colton. They tried treatment for hypothyroidism, but that didn't help. Some thought it was just new baby adjustments since Lori had delivered her daughter Courtney when Colton was two years and one day old, but Lori didn't believe that was the cause. After more online searching, Lori found a developmental agency in New Jersey that she thought could help. This time, Lori, Eric, Colton, and baby Courtney flew to New Jersey, where they were told Colton had sensory dysfunction disorder. The Reeves were sent home with an even more intense sensory treatment plan. And so we came home with quite a program of putting lemon juice on Colton's tongue, uh, having him follow a light visually. They had my husband make a, a step box where Colton would stand up and sit down, attempting to strengthen some of his gross motor skills. Bubbles, lotion, compressions, a scratchy type of glove that we would wear to give him different textures with touch. Boy, was it a big learning curve for us. But we took the program, came home, and said, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, whatever it takes. A friend of Lori's suggested she should reach out to Indiana Wesleyan University's social work program to request a student to work with Colton for her senior field placement. And boy, was I excited. I was very cognizant of the fact that this needed to be a good learning experience for the student. And so before the student came day one, I had it all laid out. You know, this was going to be a social work placement. She wasn't just going to work with our child uh, and help us, but we were going to make sure that she got what she needed in terms of her own learning. And I cannot express enough how much that student changed our lives. Because before the intern, I was trying to be Colton's social worker. And a part of me didn't 
completely understand that he needed me to be his mother because he didn't respond to me the way that his siblings had. But with that student in our lives, I, for the first time, felt like I got to just focus on being his mother. The student embraced the sensory development program, and Lori had hope again that Colton would continue to progress. My husband and I had been gone, and the student was with Colton. I mean, we were gone briefly. Uh, We walked in our house, and we heard laughter. And we're like, wow. Like, we had not heard that for a while. Remember, Colton was responding, and then all of a sudden, it was like he disappeared. And now he was, it seemed to be like he was coming back. So we go to the basement, and there was that student. And that student had him on her back, and she was playing this horsey game, and he was laughing. And so what this did was... Whoa, it just caused in me a whole lot of hope that I knew this baby was always going to have Down syndrome. And I I had accepted that at this point in time, but I was not at all ready to accept that he might have autism. I didn't even know it went together, right? Again, denial. It's a good thing. I needed it. In addition to the social work student, Nursing students from Indiana Wesleyan began working with Colton as well. Volunteers from church and, of course, the family themselves also continued to care for Colton. And it was really like, although I got to be his mom again, it was also like our house became an agency, like a social service agency in some ways. And so it was okay to me, though, even though I knew there was some some cost to that in terms of privacy and family time. I just was convinced that because Colton needed that, that was what we needed to do. And my husband is quite the supporter and he, he was beside me the whole way. And although he was a little more maybe, maybe realistic about the fact that the challenges might be here to stay, he let me have my hope. And I, I needed that at that point in time. When the social work student graduated, Lori and Eric hired her on to continue working with Colton. He was making progress, but at two and a half, he had surgery to repair his hernia. Colton did not respond in the same way after surgery and the former student stepped down because of the lack of progress. Anesthesiologists have told me that there's probably nothing that could have happened during surgery that would have made him not respond. I have to believe that, but I am I'm sure that, that Colton seemed much different after that surgery. Lori and Eric realized the ebb and flow of students wasn't sustainable or beneficial at all times, so they decided to hire a young man to work full-time with Colton. When there were disagreements in the best way to care for Colton, they found another young man who stepped in and helped give him the care he needed. He also gave Lori and Eric times of respite. Around that time, Lori and Eric received the formal diagnosis that Colton did, in fact, have autism. It felt like the first two years we were accepting Downs, and from year two to four, we were in the process of accepting autism. We ended up taking Colton to a specialist that did make that diagnosis. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget him ringing a bell, Colton not responding to the bell, and watching Colton go through that evaluation and and realizing that whatever sensory dysfunction disorder was, we were beyond that, and and Colton uh, was going to have autism for a lifetime. Then there were those people still that were saying there was a cure, right? And so I had trouble letting that go. As Lori learned to accept that Colton had autism in addition to his Down syndrome, she realized the family needed outside support to give Colton the care he needed. Since she was a professional social worker, Lori made calls about every three days seeing if there were any services her family was eligible for to get more support. The Reeves were ineligible for many income-based programs, but Colton was on the 10-year waiting list for a Medicaid waiver that was blind to parental income. Colton began receiving formal respite care when he was four through a program for parents on the Medicaid waiting list then received the full Medicaid waiver when he was six. 
This time frame of receiving respite care so quickly through the waiver was considerably shorter than what most families faced during that time period, and was perfect timing as Lori was pregnant with their youngest son, Casey. And, and I have to say that that completely changed our life because we then had resources that we had not had before. Prior to that, it was just whatever resources my husband and I could come up with on our own. And, and they're really, as I told you, they're just weren't enough, even though I was, I was kind of blind to that for a while. But this really changed things dramatically. And so Colton started having rehabilitation services. And what that meant was someone would be paid to do his dressing, his feeding, his bathing, and provide to us formalized respite care. Colton received occupational, speech, and physical therapy as part of the First Steps program till he was three. Then the public school system began treatment and care once he turned three. Throughout Colton's schooling experience, Lori pushed for the best and most well-researched treatment programs. She started by appealing to the local county district, Oak Hill, for Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA. I didn't know of any school districts around here that was doing ABA at the time, but this school district started doing that really truly for Colton. And so he had ABA pretty extensively. It's a very regimented approach to teaching. It addresses behaviors very well. And the school hired a full-time aide to do that with Colton. He responded pretty well, but with individuals with autism, there's a challenge for them to be able to transfer their learning into different environments. And so it was great that he was getting ABA at school, but then when he came home, he really needed ABA in the home as well. And that was just hard to do. I mean, keep in mind, you know, I had a toddler running around. And so trying to do ABA with Colton at home was just, it was just difficult. We did to the best of our ability, but it was just pretty, pretty encompassing what it seemed that he needed in order to be able to learn. Lori then found a program called TEACH that was backed by research at the University of North Carolina. After paying for Colton to go to a summer TEACH program in Fort Wayne, Oak Hill added the program to his ABA in the fall while he was in preschool. TEACH is a very structured program where students go from left to right, they, they grab a, a box or a tray and they, they then work a task in front of them and move it over. Colton did that quite well and he made some progress that summer with the TEACH program. So at this point he had ABA and TEACH both. Lori continued to search for the best treatments as Colton grew older and she came upon the Picture Exchange Communication System, or PECS. The PECS system uses cards with pictures on them so that nonverbal children could communicate what they want or don't want. While a good portion of Colton's education dealt with life skills like feeding and dressing himself, Lori always pushed for more cognitive skills through programs like PECS. Because in my mind, we could work on life skills for the rest of his life, but he was only going to be in school for a certain number of years. And so to me, the ABA, the TEACH, the PECS were ways to bring cognitive goals into the school setting with Colton. And so that happened, and the school, they did a great job. As she kept raising the bar for what she wanted the school to provide for Colton, the school district adapted and worked hard to give Colton the best care. And so there were moments where it was difficult, but there were moments where it really did seem very good. I, I have to commend that school system. They were willing to create a classroom, and they started having referrals of individuals with autism from other districts that were, that were wanting to come to that school system because they really had created, in what appeared to be really, in some ways for Colton, became a classroom with many children benefiting from the TEACH and the PECS and the, the specific autism education that that school district was providing. And all that was was really, really good. While Oak Hill did a good job, of course there are times when any educational system falls short. Just as Lori relentlessly searched online and traveled across the country to find treatments that helped Colton, she stayed active in his schooling to make sure he was always getting the best care possible. 
as a parent of a child with autism, you are their voice. You are their advocate. You speak for them. And you walk this really fine line between advocating and alienating. And you don't want to alienate your child's teacher. You don't want to alienate administrators. I remember feeling like sometimes I would get the sense of, oh, no, here she is again. You know, she's coming to check on what we're doing. She's coming to make sure we're taking good care of Colton. And, and, and it's true. I really was. I was, unf- I was that parent. But, but I don't think I will apologize for that because I really believe if it was someone else's child or grandchild, they would have been that parent too. And so I always approached it that way with respect, but unapologetically saying, this is what Colton needs. And I believe there's resources to make it happen coming into that school setting. And I, I did expect that his education be very good. And, and it was. Lori knew the family needed to reinforce what Colton was learning at home, but it was difficult to give him the one-on-one care he needed all the time while still taking care of four other children. She said there were times where they would have to take breaks from the treatment at home, but there would always be something new to try to help Colton. We tried a wheat-free, gluten-free diet. We had tried collation therapy. We took him to an endocrinologist. We had tried growth hormone. There was something else we had tried to heal his gut. You know, I'd read books about the gut-brain connection with autism. We truly tried all of that. I remember about when he was about 10, and it was like, I think we've tried all we can try. I, I think we just need to accept what is. And we had a period where we did that. And then I don't know what happened. I don't know if I saw one more article. I don't know if I read one more story, but it's like, we've got to try it again. Colton went back on a gluten-free diet for a while. And as he grew from a child to a teenager, Lori's mom and stepdad began to help provide more of his care because they had retired. Colton graduated on the non-diploma track of Oak Hill High School in 2014. It was a great accomplishment and time of celebration for Colton. But at the same time, Lori was apprehensive about what the future looked like for her son. And with individuals with severe disabilities, when they get older, there seems to be less available in terms of opportunity, in terms of inclusion, in terms of productive activities. And so I remember at one of his last case conferences at the high school level, a vocational rehabilitation came and offered me what was what was available for next steps. And Voc Rehab's a wonderful agency who works to get meaningful employment for individuals with disabilities. And I just did not, I couldn't imagine how Colton could work in the community. In my mind, in order to have some employment, you wouldn't have hand over hand all of the time. And at this point, Colton still requires hand over hand for many, many, many things. And so there seemed to not be anything next, at least in terms of what I felt like Colton would be able to do besides a day treatment program, which I really didn't want for him. At the same time Colton was graduating, Lori began a new job as a social work professor and director of field placement at Indiana Wesleyan University. While she was at the retirement party for the professor whose position she was taking, she heard about the Giant Wildcat Academy. This program between the Marion Community School District and Indiana Wesleyan allows students with disabilities to come on campus for a few hours a week to get a taste of the college experience. They are paired up with student mentors, learn life skills, and volunteer at various places around campus like the Baldwin Cafeteria, Recreation Center, and the Library. I just wasn't sure that they would accept Colton into that program because I knew his functioning level was much, much lower. So Colton, though he graduated on a non-diploma track from the county school, they allowed him to enroll in Marion High School and begin the Giant Wildcat Academy. And so he only comes four hours a week, but we'll take it. 
and we'll be very happy that he's here four hours a week. And so uh, originally he only came three hours a week. This year, two students actually came forward and wanted specifically to work with someone with Downs. So they added an hour onto his week. And so he now comes and works with those two students. And, you know, as a parent, you know, it's just a big deal that he's included, that he's accepted, that he's allowed to be here. And he will graduate from that program in May. And I have no idea what's next. What's next for Colton is a bit uncertain since the amount of treatment and programs available for individuals with disabilities decreases dramatically once they enter their 20s. 21 hit us pretty hard, meaning my husband and I. So Colton is now 21 and still needs 100% care in terms of bathing, dressing, shaving, eating, toileting. He just truly does. He's very mobile, so that part is truly a blessing because he can come to IW and he can he can walk across campus and he he's loving he's never violent he's really patient he's got some amazing skills in that he can run a VCR all by himself he can run a DVD player all by himself Colton loves VHS tapes and will get more excited for tapes from eBay than nearly any other gift Very methodically, he organizes his tapes in particular order, rewinds each tape to the specific spot he wants, watches that section, and then rewinds it again. Lori said she can see thinking and cognitive strengths present in Colton. It's just hard to get him focused. Colton doesn't appear to be super motivated to do things outside of what is meaningful to him. And what is meaningful to him seems to be being alone. He loves to eat, and he loves to watch TV, and he loves to listen to music. He loves lights. He likes looking at fiber optic lights. Sometimes he likes physical affection. Sometimes he will like to be rocked or like to be held. But oftentimes he'll give you a high five and say, bye, 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 bye. He's really good at giving high five. An aide once taught him that if he would give her a kiss, he would get anything he wanted. So he's really good at that. But he thinks that means, okay, now now you'll leave me alone or now you'll make me not you know, have to comply with whatever request you've given me. So he's precious. He, though, is always going to need 100% of care. Lori doesn't regret all the different treatments and programs they tried through the years and finds comfort in the fact that Colton's life and situation has made a positive impact on those who have interacted with him. I told you I was naive and unrealistic about what my husband and I truly could provide for Colton. We really needed those other people to come alongside of us. And with that, sometimes uh, can come some messiness. But what I, what I realized in doing all that was I had to let some of that go. And I had to just uh, realize that God was, was doing something much different than I think I had envisioned. See, my envision was that uh, Colton was going to be healed. Remember that. But the truth is, uh, he was definitely not healed, and his functioning level is nowhere near where we hoped it would be. That's why we did all of that, thinking that uh, it would help him to function higher and he could, you know, have possibly um, a semi-independent living opportunity in the future. That's not going to happen. But um, what I realize is those people that embraced us, their lives were also changed for the good. And I have to be okay with that being enough. For her doctoral dissertation, Lori researched what support systems parents raising children with autism need. Just like different church volunteers, students, therapists, teachers, family and friends came together to care for Colton, Lori's research found it takes a whole community coming together to support these families. She tries to assist parents in similar situations as best she can. It really does take a community. I just got a call yesterday 
from a mom who has a young child with autism and she just needed some support to know how hard do I push at an IEP? You know, how much do I continue to speak for him versus accepting things the way they are? And so up until now, had some thoughts as to what I'd wanted to do with that. I really would love to see a respite house in Grant County. You know, of course, I call it Colton's house when I envision it. Of course, I don't have funds for that. But but a place where families could take their children for respite, where they would know that their child would be well cared for overnight or after school or on the weekend. As important as the community is, Lori said there is a certain aspect where others will never understand what she and Eric go through unless they are raising their own child with a disability. There is a unique connection that can be both heartbreaking and wonderful. I watch my mom now with Colton, and he is the joy of her life. She's 71, and providing some of his care just gives her life such meaning and purpose. And my stepdad, I would say the same thing about him as well. And sometimes I look at that and I think, you know, what am I missing? But I don't think I'm missing anything. I think that there's a difference when it's your child and when it's a lifetime of figuring out how to care for that child. And so Colton, when it's just he and I, oh, is he ever a joy. You know, when it's just he and I, it's almost magical. He used to kind of love to go under the covers and play peekaboo. And and there were things we could do that would just kind of make him laugh. When it's just he and I, I can go into his world and I just see this precious young man who still seems like a boy. And I know that in heaven, uh, God has created quite a place for him. But for now, Sometimes it still seems like a lot, and, and maybe that's okay. I think the story's still being written, and I think if you interview me in 20 years, I may have, a, may have some more clarity. But for now, God provides. That's very clear. God is faithful. That's very clear. God has been a part of writing this story all along the way, and um, my anger at him and my disappointment has turned to trust. And I don't need to know what the future holds for Colton, but I really know that God holds that future. And we're just going to continue to take one day at a time and do our best to follow in the way that he leads. Able is produced by me, Tim Tedeschi, with editorial help from Mark Perry. We are produced at the 94.3 The Fortress Studios in Marion, Indiana. Special thanks this week to David Horner for connecting me with Lori. Thanks for listening to Able.